The Federation for International Basketball Associations reports that an estimated 450 million people play the sport of basketball around the world, whether it be recreationally or through structured competition. Mike Evans has traveled the world using basketball as a means of uniting desperate communities. Through 47 trips to Havana, scores of trips to native communities in Wyoming, and through bulletproof cars through Juarez, Mexico, Mike has seen firsthand how basketball can transform both communities and individuals. He's now brought it all full circle, bringing it back home to diverse communities within the Northeast, where income gaps often keep kids from interacting between socioeconomic lines. Evans, join me this week to discuss how he's using basketball as a uniting force for everyone. I'm Kevin McShann, led to this conversation. to talk to you this morning all about your passion for basketball, my friend. Great to see you, and happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday to you, too, uh, Kevin. I'm, I'm excited to be here, man. It's, uh, you know, you, a lot of people said a lot of great things about your show online, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be sitting here talking with you. Uh, I'm uh, uh, right back at you, buddy, and I know that we share a mutual passion for basketball, and I know that you've traveled internationally to bring the game of basketball to some deserving communities. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about all the good work that you do. Yeah, sure. Um, I just, uh, it, it's, it, I never, these are words I never thought I'd say, but I just published a book about the first place I went, which was Belfast, which is located in Ireland. Um, and the history of Belfast is, is complex, but to sum it up, you know, there's conflict there between Protestant and Catholic communities from a centuries-old war that uh, doesn't seem to go away. Um, and what I found I was able to do was to get kids from different sides of the community who normally would have never met to play on a team together. And then I took that concept to other places where there was strife or conflict, and the next place after Belfast was Cuba. So I've been to Cuba 47 times where I bring young people from America uh, down to Cuba to repair their basketball course so the Cubans and Americans can start to see eye-to-eye -eye through basketball. I replicated that model in the Dominican Republic and very poor parts of Santo Domingo. Um, and in the last five years, we've expanded to the Wyoming Native American Reservation called Wind River. But throughout all those times, all the international work, I've done a lot of work 
bringing communities here in Connecticut together in New York City where sort of the have and the have not communities that otherwise wouldn't meet come together to repair courts and then play together on those courts. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, oftentimes when we look at athletics, it also brings opportunities from an academic and other life standpoint as well as you engage in athletics. So, so tell me about the positive end roads that you're making and how proud you are that you're making a difference in the lives of some deserving kids. Yeah, you're right. Athletics do, you know, if, if you can, if, if athletics can present you those opportunities and you're ready for them, I think they give you advantages beyond what you can learn in a classroom. But coupling those two together is really where it's at. Uh, being able to go back to a community where there previously were no basketball hoops and we put basketball hoops up um, and put fresh paint on the ground and to see kids excited about playing, you know, it, it, that in itself is re very rewarding. But the bigger piece is that every community, regardless of income or any demographic you want to talk about, the after school period is a risky period uh, of the day for any kid. And getting a, putting a court in a community where there was no court hopefully gives those kids some structured time or something to do other than the other things that might be tempting for them to do on um, if there weren't, weren't a court there, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mike, I'm curious to ask you about your, uh, uh, your growth in terms of traveling overseas and, and uh, interacting with all of these international kids. What do you learn most about the human spirit when you travel internationally? Wow, that's a fantastic question. The human spirit. I've seen, uh, I've seen some situations that I know myself I would not survive in. Um, or I would have a hard time imagining being able to get through what people that I've met have gotten through. And the one that comes to mind is in Wyoming. The Native Americans in Wyoming live on what a lot of people consider to be in the toughest situation to live in in the United States. And they love basketball. But every single day they get up, it's a challenge. Uh, to put food on the table um, and, and in a lot of situations to get kids to school because the schools can be so far away from the reservation. Um, but when I've gone there, I've seen a lot of smiles, a lot of people continuing to work hard through those conditions and to make sure they're doing things right. And so the human spirit um, is undefeated, I should say, as, as I see it, based on what I've seen in Wyoming. Yeah, and like, tell me, how do you think a basketball can change the trajectory of a community. A basketball court is a centerpiece of a community, in, in, especially in a, in a disadvantaged community. It's a place where people gather. It's a place where people look out for each other. It's a place where people get to know one another. And they build what's called social capital in these places. So a parent who is watching kids play including their own kid, feels the jurisdiction to be able to say to a kid who is not their own and whose, whose parent is not there, hey, that's behavior that I know your parents wouldn't want you doing. And having sort of pseudo parents and other adults in the community watching out for other, other people's parents is the mark of a healthy community. And playing basketball and or other things that happen at basketball courts, whether they double as soccer fields uh, or whatever else the kids get into, 
when there's positive adults there taking, taking part in that, they're building a community right there in the space that later looks out for each other when they're not at the basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, tell me about all the good work that you're doing with a Full Court Peace Buddy, because I know that you're heavily involved in that now. So tell me all on that. Yeah, this is Full Court Peace. All these projects around the world are, are, are under the banner of Full Court Peace, where we can um, bring people together who normally may not have met one another and have them have valuable, meaningful experiences together. Meaning, I'm not sure kids here in Connecticut would have ever met a Native American if it weren't for Full Court Peace. And they wonder, who are Native Americans? What are they like? We hear about them one way in school, but... We don't really ever get to touch or experience it. And so going to the reservation in Wyoming allows them that chance to pick up a basketball, go to a court that we've just fixed and have Native Americans share that space with them. Um, it's, it, it can be really, really special to see kids bond over those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mike, I've got to share just a little bit about myself. You know, I was born with a cerebral palsy bunny, and I do some work inclusively to promote wheelchair basketball. So I was excited to talk to you this morning. And tell me about how a basketball can also build inclusive communities, not only for uh, folks with uh, disabilities, but other children as well. I have to tell you a story about a friend of mine named Ryan Martin, who's a, a well-known wheelchair basketball player uh, down here in Connecticut. And he came to my basketball camp um, in New Canaan, Connecticut, and spoke about what it's like to play professional basketball in a wheelchair or on a wheelchair. And then he had a kid get up out of the crowd and try to drive by him on the, by dribbling by him. And Ryan was able to defend him, which was fascinating for the kids to watch. And I think what it did in that moment was to show those Duquesne kids who, again, may have not otherwise ever met someone um, in a wheelchair that, A, Ryan's personality is super vibrant, He's just as charismatic as anyone else they've ever met, if not way more. Um, and he's overcome obstacles to become a, a really good basketball player as well. And I think the next time that those kids see someone in a wheelchair, they think of Ryan, they think of a positive experience associated with the wheelchair, and they have more compassion and maybe more of a willingness to go up and greet that person. And that's where inclusivity grows. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, like you also do work at – to uh, sort of bridge the income gap for kids in terms of giving them basketball and exposure to uh, different cultures and different people. So tell me about how important it is to uh, give kids an alternative if they uh, may come from a lower income community. Yeah, what, what I see is that is not incapability in, in those communities, but lack of basic resources. So what Full Court Peace does is finds ways to get new sneakers to kids, a brand new basketball, and to resurrect their basketball court, and to help local coaches run leagues. We don't want to get in the way. We just want to be able to give them what they need to run what they want to run. So very oftentimes, we're just providing some funding to make sure that their league is robust. They have a scoreboard. They have uniforms on the backs, and they have uh, Gatorades and waters, just like any other league. Um, getting kids from the, the backgrounds that are uh, suburban out here in Connecticut to go to those environments builds character within them to understand how lucky they might be to be in their situation. But it also shows them 
that these communities are not scary places to be and the people that live in them are just like them. They love basketball and that common denominator typically builds an understanding across those communities. And yeah, and Mike, uh, you brought your book up earlier, so I'll ask you again just to give me a sort of the origin of the book and why it was so important for you to write it, buddy. I'm fascinated. Yeah, well, just like you, it's a vulnerable thing to do, right? You're putting this podcast out and, and you're putting your, it's a form of art for you to put out into the world. And the book for me was the founding story of Full Court Peace. But I had a lot of characters to talk about, including myself as a young person in that book. And finally getting it out for people to read it is a risk because people get to learn things about you that you may not have otherwise exposed to them, including strangers around the world who are buying it. So getting it finally on a shelf, so to speak, the Amazon shelf is uh, something I've been trying to do for over a decade. And um, it feels um, it feels pretty remarkable to have finally hit that publish button. Well, congratulations. It's a, a tremendous achievement, my friend. And tell me, how do you think basketball can further sort of strengthen personal development in kids in terms of quality of character and equality as well? Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a really, uh, that's a very deep question. I'm, I, I'm a basketball coach as well, and, and um, we go through what are unfortunate situations where kids have to get cut from teams at very young ages. What I see in terms of character development are the kids that say, okay, I got cut. I'd like to come back next year and try again are instantly building character from the disappointing news from getting cut. Um, I think in a lot of situations, parents shield their kids from that bruising experience only to have them fail to learn that they can come back and make it the next year. So basketball in general and any sport, any youth sport where a kid says, all right, I didn't make it, but I'm going to make it next year. That kid's going to go on to think the same thing about perhaps maybe not getting a job and wanting to get it the next round. Um, and it applies to all parts of life. Uh, yeah, in terms of, of societal uh, sort of unity, I, I think athletics is a great way to expose kids to um, societal challenges and uh, sort of triggers and success, successes that they'll see in life. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's the crux of what I do. I mean, it's, it's a way to see... Uh, your your own community, other communities, and regional and global situations through a different lens that I think helps kids understand understand the world. Basketball is a metaphor for a lot of things. Yeah, and uh, Michael, when you work with youth coaches in all of these different communities around the league, what are uh, uh, that you work with? Tell me, what is the one overriding message that you hope a full court piece will? give to these coaches and communities in terms of uh, overcoming obstacles and the importance of perseverance? The one overarching, uh, overarching message that I hope gets across is that um, your neighbors, uh, no matter who they are, are, are willing to help grow programs um, so that if kids do get cut, uh, trailing off of what I just said from your last question, there's an opportunity to keep playing. Um, and basketball is just a metaphor for life. You're going to get cut at some point in life in some way, shape, or form. Um, whether you're going to get back up and try again 
um, or not is really going to determine your success rate uh, because it's not about always being successful. Any successful person understands the, the need, not the maybe behind failing, but the need to fail first to then be successful. And that's what I hope kids can learn. Uh, yeah, I, I always say the minute you uh, turn your mind off from learning is the minute you die, right? Because there's always something to learn in life. life. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, tell me, how do you define diversity in athletics? Uh, that's, that's, that's another great question. Um, no, I, I think that if you look around Connecticut, which I probably have the best perspective on, um, there's a there's a lot of diversity, of course, of racial backgrounds, and income backgrounds here in Connecticut. We actually are the most um, divided state in in the United States in terms of income differences between neighboring communities. Um, and then we are also the most divided state when it comes to the achievement gap, which is scores on standardized tests between neighboring communities. And it doesn't take uh, rocket scientists to figure out that the income and the achievement gap. Um, are probably correlated in some way, shape, or form. Um, so if you go to cities like Bridgeport, Connecticut, which has been uh, plagued by violence for a long time, if the kid wants to get into a gym uh, just to practice basketball during the winter months, during the dark months that you and I talked about before the show started here, it's basically impossible. They can't get into a gym just to shoot around. Everything has to be organized and certified probably because of insurance reasons. But if you go to a neighboring community not even two miles away, there are gyms that are more available, more gyms are open for kids to play in. And so more kids in those communities have access to indoor spaces with positive coaches in their lives. So a lot of diversity of experience um, and a lot of diversity on ability because of those situations. Yeah, Mike, I'm fascinated as you since you started this project. How has your perspective on life sort of evolved? Oh man, um, well, I think if the if if you read the book, you realize I thought my life was all about me when I was 22, and most 22 year olds probably think that. But through full court peace, through through being involved in these these programs, um. I've started to realize how much more it is about everyone else. Um, if we're not help, um, helping someone, um, if we're not helping someone make their life easier for themselves, and I'm not sure why we're here, I've gotten the most satisfaction out of that. I too have gained a lot from from full court peace, and people know me, and I get credit. Uh, I get credit for a lot of good things, but the reality is that there is no full court peace without the cooperation of everybody that's involved. It's not a Mike Evans organization. It's it's a group of people from very different walks of life deciding to work together for the betterment of both groups of people. Yeah, having said that, Mike, I'm curious how you measure the impact of a progress and really moving the needle of progress forward in the work that you do. Yeah, measurement is a key factor here uh, because you don't just want to be showing up and painting course and thinking that's all that all that um, that. That, it, that matters is putting a new basketball court in a community. There's so much more beyond that. So it's hard. It's also hard to measure the strength of relationships, but I'll go back to Wyoming again, and then I'll talk a little bit about Cuba. But in Wyoming, it took us a couple of visits or a couple of years to really gain the trust of local people. 
And there's a long history there of distrust between natives and non-natives, of course. But now we've got jerseys on the backs of about, say, 15 kids. And we're sponsoring 10 tournaments this year for the kids to be able to leave Wyoming and go to neighboring Nevada or Montana to play in tournaments. They get to get off of the reservation to play basketball. And that doesn't happen unless Native adults trust us to provide for them. There's been a lot of stuff going on between natives and non-natives that leads to natives saying, well, you're only doing that because you get this in return. And I don't think we get really anything in return besides, you know, a good feeling inside of our hearts that we're helping people who need it. So we know that the relationships are getting better and we're measuring that because they're allowing us to do more for them. In Cuba, it's more of a very quantitative measurement. We got through that trust process by about 2011. I started the program there in 2009. And by 2011, we had a league started. And now that league has grown to about 350 people. So, and we just started a women's league that now has 60 players. In it. So, you know, we've got more people playing basketball and more basketballs in people's hands in some communities. In other communities, we have those same metrics, but the metric of relationships matters more to us there. Yeah, so I'll ask you uh, uh, this next question. What is that the keys are uh, to building great relationships in athletics? I think, I think um, there are so many obstacles to building important relationships uh, between people, especially with the rise of social media and news being on all the time, that people are constantly being fed the opposite message of what Full Court Peace is trying to achieve especially between groups of people that are disparate or rivals or, or apparent rivals, I should say. I think the key is the, the fundamentals of any relationship. I think it's eye contact. I think it's firm handshakes. I think it's being an active listener. I think it's being a genuine listener. I think knowing that you have two ears and one mouth instead of the opposite is probably important. And listening, for example, again with the natives to say, well, what do you want to create here that we can help you create? And through those conversations, they're, they're seeing me listen and then deliver. So I'm not just listening, saying, oh, yeah, we can do that, and then not coming through. You have to keep coming back. Like I said, I've been to Cuba 47 times. Every time I come back, I think someone else in Havana says, oh, that guy really has been here a long time. He really is just here to help us. And, of course, I get something out of it. I get to go to Cuba all the time. I get to be in the Caribbean weather. I get to know about a different culture. I get to practice my Spanish. I do receive through the work, but I'm hoping that the fundamental of that relationship, that, hey, we're here to give, we're here to listen, um, and we're not like other people you've met in the past, uh, is the fundamental towards building a stronger relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, Mike, you brought the word uh, trust multiple times in our conversation today. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think the keys are to building sustainable trust? I think it's it's I think it's coming back. Um, when I went to Cuba in two thousand nine and then and told and saw the, the the disrepair of their basketball courts, I told them I'd come back in a year and bring people with me to fix it. And they looked at me like I had three heads. And there was no way for me to communicate with them throughout the year. There was no internet. There was no phones. I had no way of telling them that I was actually coming. And then I just showed up with five guys a year later. And with uniforms for a tournament, and we bought a bunch of paint, paint brushes, and and got it done. Um, and I think the the just showing up and continuing to show up and continuing to be there and doing your absolute best to make sure that there are no lapses 
in the delivery of the product to always be under promising and over delivering is how you build relationships across very tenuous lines, Protestant Catholic, Cuban American, rich and poor, native and non-native. All the tenuous lines that make up our society can be broken down through that process. Yeah, and Mike, you, you mentioned to me that you've been to Cuba uh, 47 times, my friend. So tell me, uh, what's your favorite part of uh, Caribbean culture? And, you know, Cuba's uh, traditionally known as a baseball sort of, sort of mecca. So tell me about the growth of, and popularity of basketball in Cuba, too. That's a really good point. We know how good they are in baseball. I mean, just turn on the World Series. There are probably a couple of them playing in those games, maybe more than a couple. Um, but uh, basketball is largely a street sport there. Um, people just play pickup basketball a lot. And we went in and just helped them formalize it. We, 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 we went to different courts in different communities. And because of lack of cell phones and connectivity, they may not have known people just five miles down the road. So by fixing one court, then going to fix another, we were able to then get to know, uh, get, get the Cubans to know one another and to grow that network of basketball players um, to grow what is now um, a humongous sports league, uh, basketball league there. But they're great athletes. They're fantastic athletes. And the, Dominican, the Dominicans are too. They're fantastic athletes who love baseball, yes. But look, there's a lot of baseball players in those places. Some people want to stand out as a, from a different sport and be unique and have their own path. And that's what basketball provides the Cubans and the Dominicans. And we provide them the structure they need to grow with the products that they want to give to their community. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me, what's your uh, favorite, how have you uh, sort of immersed yourself in the culture, buddy? What's, what's your favorite part? Uh, I have to decide. I'm going to go with the people, but then I'm going to go, uh, that's going to be number one. Um, one, one B or one A, I should say, is going to be the food. So they, they have these, they have a lot of African influence in their food and a lot of, a lot of Spanish influence in their food. And then maybe a sprinkling of some American influence. You, imagine those three coming together for a plate of food. And I go to places now, these little holes in the wall in, in Connecticut that are run by Dominicans who moved from the Dominican Republic. It's hard to find a Cuban restaurant um, in this area, but they, the credibility that I have as a customer there speaking Spanish and knowing exactly what to ask for based on what I've learned about food down in those countries, like the relationship between the customer and the waiter is instantly better because he says, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. So it's food and what food has brought me in terms of, of being able to connect with more people. And what's your favorite Cuban food, buddy? Well, there's a oh God. That's how much time do we have? Uh, just kidding. That you know, um, tostones are um, plantains that have been smashed um, and then fried and then fried and then salted and then fried again. Um, and so I have to go with those. And it's a really big debate as to who makes them the best between the Dominicans and the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans. And I don't want to get involved in that debate. I just want to eat as many tostones as I can. Uh, yeah, it's just about. <laughs> It's just about endless uh, hospitality, right? Between all, all the group, groups, and then you're covered, right? If you have endless hospitality. That's a great way to phrase it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that phrase from you. 
because the Cubans and the Dominicans provide you endless hospitality. I love that phrase. That's perfect. Absolutely. Mike, my final question for you this morning has to do with your own individual, personal, and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. Oh, man. Um, I think, I think, um, I really think that if, if I could write my gravestone, if, if that's how it ends up happening, I hope, I hope that I gave everything I had to as many people as I encountered. Um, it's hard in, to live in, the, in the wealth, one of the wealthiest states and, and do this work. You have to find a lot of means of, of having income and, and being able to survive here. Um, but the generosity that I've seen um, from others to allow me to be able to give um, is something I want people to remember that there are generous people out there. The wealthy are often um, castigated as people who are selfish uh, and greedy, but I've seen the exact opposite of that. And so I hope that people will, re will remember me as someone who brought those two groups of people together in, in order to give to both communities, whether it's all the ones I listed before or right here in Connecticut between um, the have and have not communities. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike, if people want to get connected with you personally or Full Court Peace, what's the best way they can do that, buddy? Well, on social media, at Full Court Peace, uh, website fullcourtpeace.org, which has the book uh, for sale on the website. Um, and yeah, and Mike at fullcourtpeace.org is my email. I'm willing to take, you know, I'll, I'll travel anywhere to fix a basketball court, Kevin. Well, fabulous. I, I want to... Uh, I sincerely commend you for all the good work that you do to inspire kids, change communities, and bring your passion for basketball, my friend. Your, your work in the space and time on my behalf this morning is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for engaging in conversation. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor, and your questions were unbelievably deep. I, I, it was not a cosmetic interview at all. I really appreciate what you got me to think about. It's a great job.